This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, November the 29th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, my first day back from vacation, my microphone is hung up backwards. I don't know if we can deal with that during the show. I apologize for any terribleness by which that sounds. Dr. Sherry McKinstry will tell you about a newly launched Indigenous Dental Association of Canada. Accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore recaps the committee hearings on Bill C-22. You know what that is. That's the Canada Disability Benefit. And we wrap up the show with another edition of our weekly news quiz. You'll also hear from Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech. And you'll get a chance to Hang out with Louise Levesque Burley, community reporter in New Brunswick. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day, and that's a look at economic news. Stats Canada is out with economic data this morning about the gross domestic product. In the third quarter of this year, GDP grew at a little over 0.7%, which represents annualized growth of about 2.9%. The results beat out the federal agency's preliminary estimate for growth, which was 0.4%. According to the agency, economic growth was driven by an increase in exports, non-residential structures, and business investment in inventories. Growth in those areas was moderated by declines in housing, investment, and household spending. And while we're talking about the economy, who boy... Was there a big deal struck last night? Royal Bank of Canada has signed a deal to acquire HSBC Bank Canada for, wait for this, over $13.5 billion in cash. That's your monthly bank fees right there being used to buy another bank. $13.5 billion in cash. HSBC Holdings said earlier this year that it was reviewing strategic strategic options for its Canadian subsidiary, including the possible sale of the operations. HSBC Canada has approximately 130 branches and 4,200 full-time employees. RBC says it expects to close the deal by late 2023, subject to customary conditions, including regulatory approvals. And if we've learned anything from the Rogers and Shaw deal, sometimes those approvals don't come together oh so quickly. Let's turn to the world of federal politics where the Emergencies Act inquiry continues today. Karen Rebo looks ahead. The Public Order Emergency Commission is slated to begin the day with a panel of policy experts on misinformation, disinformation, and the role of social media. Another panel on the flow of essential goods and services, critical infrastructure, and trade corridors is set to follow in the afternoon. The inquiry is seeking the expert input to bolster its analysis of whether the federal government was right to use the Emergencies Act to clear protests that paralyzed downtown Ottawa for three weeks and halted 
rapid trade at several border crossings. The policy phase follows six weeks of fact-finding hearings into the events leading up to that decision. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. Let's look abroad to a natural disaster where lava is shooting into the air and flowing downhill at Hawaii's Mauna Loa volcano as that volcano erupts for the first time in nearly 40 years. For now, lava is not threatening any homes or communities and no evacuation orders have been issued. Reporter Matt Gutman has more on the response from local authorities. They are telling people on the Big Island to watch out, to wear masks if they're going to go outside. People with respiratory problems should stay indoors. Right now, this is not a threat to either homes or people. And if you talk to people on the island, they're not too concerned. In fact, they're kind of excited because they've gotten to see these incredible images and and bright lights and sunrises and sunsets uh, because of this eruption. The volcano is about 320 kilometers south of Hawaii's most populous island, Oahu. And let's get to one last story here before I start talking about the daily polls. After a few days of giving your money to your favorite stores and businesses, charities and nonprofits are asking you to step up on Giving Tuesday. Daria Elbinger explains some of the history. After Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday comes Giving Tuesday. It started in 2012 by Manhattan's 92nd Street Wise Belfer Center for Innovation and Social Impact as an opportunity to help the charity of your choice make a difference in your community or maybe even the world. Many organizations offer specials to mark the event, in some cases matching your donation dollar for dollar. You may be able to deduct the donation on your 2022 income tax return. You can also take part by donating your time and talents. Daria Albinger, ABC News, New York. Let's get to our daily polls at Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday, you were asked, would you live in a house that was made famous in a movie? And if you say yes, leave a comment with which one. So 40% of you said yes, and 60% of you said no. Karen tweets in, is it weird I loved the house from Amityville Horror? Uh, yes, Karen. Yes, it is. A Dutch colonial on the water in New York City, near New York City. Perfect. James writes in, the log home in the movie on Golden Pond. So thank you to James and Karen for chiming in there. And I think we can ask Karen a little bit more about uh, why a murder house is so appealing. But uh, that may actually beg some broader questions about true crime as a general topic. Let's get to today's daily poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I just got back from doing a little bit of traveling to a city that I'm quite familiar with, Montreal, my old hometown. But it got me thinking as I was wandering the streets and the metros and the old haunts of nostalgia. When you visit a new place, what are the accessibility features that you notice? Sidewalk design? Elevators and ramps, signage, other. So oftentimes we talk about universal design as a concept that is supposed to appeal beyond disability. And as I was rolling my suitcase on the narrow sidewalks of René Levesque last Friday on my way to the train station and was rolling it through snowbanks and slush piles and construction zones and little dig digouts here and there for trees and garbage cans and all the other clutter that we have on our sidewalks. It's a reminder that when we're talking about accessibility and universal design, there is that cross point that connects. Because I was thinking, this suitcase, which is so easy to wheel on a nice smooth surface, 
was a real pain in the butt to go less than a kilometer from hotel to train station on Friday afternoon. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, imagine being a wheelchair user. Imagine being someone who uses a different kind of assistive device. Imagine even being blinder than I am. With all of that clutter, all of those detours, all of that construction, all of those dips, the sidewalk design is absolutely horrendous. Horrendous. I then get to the train station. I've got a fairly heavy bag. I'm a big, strong, strapping man, but I would have preferred to use the escalator. Guess what was broken? The escalator. So now I'm hauling this bag down a flight of stairs. Again, not the end of the world for me. For somebody else, that's a problem. It's just a reminder that over and over and over again, when people talk about inclusion and we talk about the simplicity or the importance of the basics of inclusion and the basics of accessibility, we can't seem to go beyond square one or square two. So how are we supposed to get to square 36 or square 37 in the accessibility conversation when we have narrow cluttered sidewalks and what are supposed to be massively profitable regulated businesses not having proper escalators in place, let alone, you know, elevators for someone who can't even use an escalator. It's uh, discouraging on occasion, to say the least. Let's bring in Alex Smythe. Alex, thank you for filling in for me the last couple of days. We appreciate it. I don't blame you for turning this microphone around, but somebody did. (laughs) But again, not blaming you. Alex, what do you notice when visiting somewhere in regards to inaccessibility or take it positive, actual accessibility? Yeah, first off on the microphone front, I just used it as it was placed in front of me, Dave. So uh, direct your anger elsewhere for that. But I will uh, find for- someone to blame, Alex. Don't worry. <laughs> that I, I have no doubt. But uh, in, in terms of accessibility in a new place, I think first thing for me would probably be along the lines of the sidewalks. You know, I especially when it comes to street corners and, and when you have intersections like I will notice right away if they have the the Braille like inlays on the the corners at intersections where it's marked kind of the edge of of the sidewalk and going into the street. And then the next thing I'll notice is like, okay, well, what are the um, uh, the indicators for for crossing? Like, are they at uh, wheelchair height? Are they integrated into uh, a light pole or are they like separate and on their own? And are they like auditory or are they just kind of the standard like visual cues that you offer but beyond that i i think once i get into like any sort of building or whatever as soon as there's certain signage or or uh i guess like announcements or advertisements of accessibility features that's what i really pick up on whether it's like oh we have audio description or you know there's braille text over here or this is uh, you know high contrast like as soon as they start promoting it, I'm going to start to notice that, and then I'm going to keep my eye out for those other features. But certainly when you're out and about in the city, the sidewalks and, and those intersections are the first thing that come to mind for me. Thank you very much for those thoughts, Alex. Grace Scofield, you're joining us today in the audio control room. We're always grateful to have your presence. As you meander around a new place, what are some of these elements that you notice? 
I think it's definitely more signage for me. Um, and are there people directing other people on where to go, too? Ooh, good one. Uh, you know, take it with transit in Toronto. Is there somebody there that you can easily ask questions to of where is the elevator? Where is oh the escalator? Gosh, yeah. Are there people available to direct you if you're in a new place and you have no idea where you're going? Because I think it's also, it's not just a matter of are these features available? It's how easy are they to find and to use? Montreal is not a new place for me. Montreal is a place where I've lived for 25 years of my life. And the one thing I was thinking about last week about navigation is so much of it is muscle memory. From basically one corner of the city at approximately Westminster and Saint-Jacques to about Saint-Denis and Montréal, that section of the city... I know off by heart, like the back of my hand, it's just so simple for me. But you identify, how can you get help when you end up in a new place or a place you don't know? I can't imagine what it would be like for someone who gets to the TTC station at Bloor and Young and has to try and transfer the subway line there because the signage is brutal and the place is overwhelming. Absolutely. And there's so many different places to go and different exits and entrances. There isn't really like a streamlined way to get in or out. You end up like on the west side or the east side. Yeah. I still get confused. (laughs) Grace, great to have you aboard today. Hopefully we can catch up with you a couple more times here before the show's over. But for now, I'm going to encourage everyone to vote on the poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Send us emails, feedback at ami.ca, or give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. Let's bring in Alex Smythe for the National Weather Update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, It's cloudy with possible snow or rain this morning, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later, and wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour, so watch out for that. And the high is one degrees. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, there's snow flurries in the morning, and then it's going to be clearing up for the rest of the day with three as the high. In Montreal, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds, which is clearing in the morning and making way for some more sunshine, and the high is zero degrees. Over to Ottawa, Ontario. It's mainly cloudy with a high of one. In Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy and a high of six. Thunder Bay, Ontario. There's clouds this morning, then snow is actually gonna be beginning around noon and up to 10 centimeters is expected. So it's gonna be a huge uh, dump of snow and a weather advisory is in effect due to that snowfall. Zero is the high for the area. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, there's snow flurries with up to two centimeters expected and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus three. Now to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, there's snowfall and blowing snow today and the temperature is minus nine, but it is falling and the wind chill this morning is minus 20. So it's a very cold day in Saskatoon. Over to Calgary, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and uh, uh, but it is chilly and minus 14 is to high, but it's even colder than Saskatoon at minus 27 with the wind chill. So it's just very blistery out in the prairie provinces. Continuing to Edmonton, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow. Minus 12 is to high, but with the wind chill, it'll feel like minus 22, uh, 23. Now up to Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Arguably the 
coldest uh, going to be for a while. It's mainly sunny today, but extremely cold. It, it's minus 29 on its own, but with the wind chill, it feels like minus 44. So be sure if you have to go outside in the area, bundle up, keep yourself protected. Frostbite can set on very quickly. Now over to Vancouver, BC. It's mainly cloudy with snow beginning in the afternoon and a special weather statement is in effect due to the wintry conditions. The high there is zero. And finally to Victoria, BC. It's mainly cloudy, snow beginning in the morning. Then it's a mix of rain in the afternoon. So it's gonna be very uncertain, ugly conditions. There's five centimeters of snow expected and one is the high. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Dr. Sherry McKinstry will tell you about the Indigenous Dental Association of Canada. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A new platform is expected to be launched soon that will offer better services and improve oral health for Indigenous communities across Canada. Dr. Sherry McKinstry is the founder for the newly established Indigenous Dental Association of Canada. And Dr. McKinstry is here to tell you more. Hey, good morning, Dr. McKinstry. Thank you for making time for us today. We're grateful. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So let's start with the issue. What is the landscape right now when it comes to oral health for Indigenous communities across the countries, across the country? What are some of the barriers that are facing the communities? Oh, there are several different types of barriers facing various communities. One of the things that we have to realize when we're uh, thinking about um, First Nations communities is that First Nations communities are very uh, unique and very different uh, not only across Canada, but within the provinces as well. So I, depending on what is available to us, we tend to uh, have access issues such as um, lack of providers that are able to come into the communities, uh, the funding that's available for um, the communities and uh, the provision of dental services. Um, so many different things with Status First Nations, we have eligibility through uh, the NIHB program, but um, while we do have that eligibility, there are issues that we see within that as well. And I hear this frequently, not only from providers, but from um, the users, the end users or the rights holders as well. It's something that I, people I experience that's all too common. Having access to something or having eligibility for something is not the same thing as access to something. Just because you qualify doesn't mean you get your needs served. So let's talk about the organization. How did it come together? Well, uh, a lot of it accumulated. There's just a bunch of things that came together. Uh, I guess it would be my personal experiences going through uh, institutions and in the profession myself as a First Nations woman. Um, and then in the more recent news with um, the Masters of Public Health that I did at the University of Victoria, the reason that it took me there was, uh, I guess it would be a couple a couple of issues and some of it was a lot of it was personal actually not necessarily um what i had encountered i felt like i came to uh i guess it would be a barrier in providing care in the communities and um i went 
looking for more education is to figure out why things were the way they were, but also why I grew up the way I was. And then around the same time we had coming into the news, uh, Canada was starting to learn a little bit more about the residential school system and having family that was part of the residential school system. It was really, um, it was really heavy on my heart and trying to figure things out and a lot of guilt that I carried um, with, that I carried um, toward an individual, I guess it would be, that had been through the residential school made me rethink all of that. And so it was another part that just brought up a lot of trauma and healing that I had to start all over again. And so part of that just put me into a different mindset, I guess, that would, you know, if I'm feeling all of this, then, you know, there's others out there. And one of the things that we do as um, Indigenous people is we look for community and look for supports for those that understand. And so originally IDAC, the Indigenous Dental Association, was founded on reconciliation um, because what was in the news with the unmarked and undocumented burial sites of the residential school systems, um, at that at the beginning, IDAC had actually originally started off for Indigenous oral health providers only. But as we got going, um, we started inviting the dental community across Canada to join us on a reconciliation journey. Because if we're starting off with healing, um, you know, I think it can definitely be something that's beneficial to the whole community because how we think and how we do things actually impacts Indigenous oral health and oral health outcomes. Mm. What are some of the preliminary goals? As you identified a couple of moments ago, the the needs change from individual to individual and community to community. But broadly, what are some of the goals and some of the initiatives that you and your colleagues want to take on here in the early stages? So IDAC is very new. <clears throat> We're only setting up our um, membership now. We, we just launched in March and just more recently, we finally have the funding. Um, so I have some um, somebody that we I just hired actually to help take on a little bit of the responsibility. And now that we have that, um, the I guess it would be the resources available to us. I'm hoping to bring more people in because you know IDAC is not about what I envision it. IDAC is going to be about what the membership envisions and what we need. We know that we got to where we are because of social constructs and um, the hardships that it's creating for Indigenous people with ongoing colonization. And so we're trying to figure out how to change how we think. And that's kind of where IDAC is leading to is, you know, how we think, but not only from the provider perspective. One thing that happens frequently with um, studies and research and uh, programs and policies is that we we fail to listen to the voice in the communities. And we, mm. IDAC really wants to listen to the voice in the communities. You mentioned that you've reached out to other oral healthcare providers to create a broader community and create that lens involving reconciliation. I, I know that this can get very complicated, but what does that lens look like? How would you like to see other oral care providers apply that lens of reconciliation to the work that they're doing and collaborating with you and your colleagues? So at the very beginning, uh, just this past weekend, I was at an Indigenous Awareness Day that um, CDSS or the regulatory body here in Saskatchewan uh, put on. And so I'm, I've been to many of these events. And part of that is just becoming aware that there are issues in Canada. You know, we have a history, an Indigenous history in Canada that we haven't learned a lot about. And so those are the very early steps in um, in this reconciliation journey is learning about that. But then... <clears throat> 
again, you know, it's not a, a box to check just to learn that this history was there. There's action that has to come. And so in the early conception, that's the part is bringing this realization that Indigenous people have this history that impacts not only Indigenous oral health, but the but I guess it would be the, the people within the profession as well. And, you know, it's some, at times it's so profoundly different. Um, and as I had mentioned, we have a diversity of um, experiences that happen within communities. And it's the same thing with providers. We have those coming from different positions and locations that we have to acknowledge. And for me, um, one of the things that moving forward with IDAC is one of the things that I've always said right from the get-go is I'm not reaching out necessarily. I'm not I'm not hounding uh, Indigenous oral health providers in, in throughout Canada. Is I'm making my making IDAC um, known so that Indigenous oral health providers can reach out to me because the last thing that I want to do is exploit Indigenous oral health providers as well. Um, and if they want to participate, then I'm more than welcome. I'm, I'm here with open arms. If I were to broaden out this conversation a little bit more, uh, in the next segment of the show, we're going to be talking about the Canada Disability Benefit, something that Canadians with disabilities have been clamoring for for a long, long time. We're getting some information about a national dental care rollout. What is your reaction to that? How do you think a national dental care plan, although very narrow in its scope right now, may be something to, to use to, to build upon a foundation to serve more people? Well, there are many issues with uh, the dental benefit program coming out. And a lot of it is that it has to do with un, with, the, with the unknown. And when it comes to the unknown, with, as, as an Indigenous provider, an Indigenous person in Canada, one of the very first things that uh, comes to mind is, okay, how is this going to negatively impact um, Indigenous communities? And we have to remember, uh, throughout Indigenous communities, we have First Nations status and non-status, Métis and Inuit, and only certain groups within that um, within that group have access to NIHB benefits. You know, so this upfront may benefit some Indigenous groups, um, and in some cases, it may actually widen that inequity that's happening. The, um, oral health inequity that's happening um, already, because if we're increasing um, and improving health for some, which is beneficial, if we're leaving the Indigenous people behind without addressing, you know, the access to dental care as a bare minimum, um, we're actually going to be increasing that gap. And so uh, a little bit weary, I, actually, I have to say I'm a little, I'm a very weary about how this plays out for Indigenous people. Um yeah, I'm very cautious and part of the discussions as much as I can be um, with the information that was given to given to um, oral health providers and what, what this is going to look like. Mm. Dr. McKinstry, as you mentioned, it's, it's still early days. It's only been a couple of months since you launched, but where should people go to stay up to date and stay in touch with the work that you and your colleagues at IDAC are doing? Well, I, when biggest resource would be going to their website. So that's www.idac.agency. Um, you can also Google us. We're finally coming up as a, one of the, the first um, sites that are, come up when you search IDAC. Um, but that's one great resource. Another resource is just to reach out to me. My um, At this point, we're opening um, a physical, physical location here in Saskatoon that hopefully will be um, 
will be in within the next couple of months and we'll have um, some staff available um, for, and I can't even tell you how many people have reached out, how many organizations have reached out. It's been um, very distracting from moving forward with IDAC and trying to help organizations um, with their inquiries and, you know, and how they can participate in reconciliation. The more people I can get on, um, definitely um, it would be very helpful uh, because, as I said, you know, IDAC is not going to be Sherry's IDAC. It's going to be IDAC for uh, Indigenous oral health providers across Canada. Well, you've been very generous with your time this morning. I'm sorry if we were one of those distractions, but all the best to you as you continue this rollout. And let's stay in touch because I'd love to hear about some of the initiatives that you roll out and some of the progress you make over the years. Thank you. That's Dr. Sherry McKinstry, the founder of Indigenous Dent, the Indigenous Dental Association of Canada. As your Dr. McKinstry say, to learn more, you can visit their website, www.idac.agency. Coming up next, accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore will recap the committee hearings on Bill C-22, the Canada Disability Benefit. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index lost nearly 1% yesterday, and U.S. markets fell even more, weighed down by losses in energy and metals due to China's zero-COVID restrictions and rising infections. Toronto's TSX index lost 163 points to 20,220. New York's Dow Jones average tumbled 497 points, and the Nasdaq lost 176 points. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index fell 134 points, and our dollar is trading overseas this morning a little higher at 74.44 cents U.S. Asian shares are mixed, but Hong Kong's benchmark closed 5% higher today as jitters fade over protests in China about its stringent anti-COVID policies. With police out in force, authorities eased some regulations, but the government has really shown no sign of backing down on its larger coronavirus strategy. StatsCan is set to release gross domestic product numbers for both September and the third quarter this morning. From the Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. We've been talking about the Canada Disability Benefits quite a bit over the last few weeks on the show. But what we have to say doesn't necessarily matter as much as what a parliamentary committee has been saying in studying the law that could create the National Disability Benefit, Bill C-22. Megan Gilmore is here to recap some of the highlights on what the committee heard and tell us what happens next. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. To clarify, we've actually been talking about this since 2020 when it was first announced. So, yes, you know. yes. But I mean, the last couple of weeks, we've really been bombarding the conversation right. on this. And it it's started true. with you. It's true. Y- you deserve the credit, Megan, because you're one of the people who really throws these things on our radar. And then I chew them to death. So that's that. That's that's this relationship that we have here. It's it's totally a codependence. Uh, Megan, we need to start with a civics lesson. Because people sometimes the eyes glaze over when they think about federal committee uh, committees. So, what is this committee doing? Sure. So uh, we're gonna take a step back for a moment. Um, when a bill for a bill to become a law, it must go through three readings in the House of Commons, and then of course it goes to the Senate. And after the second reading, 
in the House of Commons, which is the first reading that has a debate. After the second reading, the MPs will vote to send the bill to a committee, which is what happened in this case. And a committee is tasked with studying the bill. They'll bring in witnesses. People will come and they'll talk about the proposed legislation, how this could impact their life. People will write letters to the committee, giving their thoughts about uh, the law. And then after the committee hears from witnesses, uh, the members of the committee, made up of members of uh, all political parties, will go through the bill clause by clause and give suggestions about where things could change, et cetera. Um, and then the committee will write up a list of amendments and send those back to the House of Commons, which means that when a bill comes up for third reading, it may look a little different than it did in second reading. So the committee, if anybody's interested, uh, that studies Bill C-22 is HUMA. It's the Human Resources, Skills and Social Development and the Status of Persons with Disabilities. So if there's a law uh, that has to do with supports for persons with disabilities at the federal level, it will likely be studied by HUMA. When I was a young pup in the spring of 2001 attending for the Forum for Young Canadians, a chance for politically minded young people to see how power was brokered in the halls of parliament. One of the special accesses we got was to sit in on a parliamentary committee. And I'll never forget sitting right next to one MP who during the French translation would spin his earpiece in his hand and look over to us young people and go, this is pretty boring, isn't it? So uh, that gives you some sense of the people we send to Ottawa to uh, be part of these committees. Nonetheless, Megan, there are important things to be discussed here. And let's start with the Minister of Employment, Workforce Development and Disability Inclusion, Carla Qualtrough, no stranger to this show. So yep. Minister Qualtrough spoke to the committee in October. What did she have to provide to them? Sure. So one of the main topics of conversation around this legislation on this program and among parliamentarians is the fact that all the details about this benefit are being left to the regulations, which means that parliament would pass this bill into law saying, we are going to create a national disability benefit and then decide how that will look in regulations. So um, obviously Minister Culture was asked a lot of questions about specifically, what can you tell us about this benefit? Um, and one of the first things is the timeline. So when do we anticipate that this uh, legislative and regulatory process will be done. This is what the minister said. She anticipates that it will take 12 months after the bill passes to pass the regulations. So that's a year. Uh, so that would mean, like, let's say, best case scenario, according to Minister Qualtro's uh, proposed timeline, people could start receiving the benefit in 2024. So if, if the bill passes at the end of this year, beginning of next year, giving year of regulations, we're looking at 2024 for people to start receiving benefits because we also have to work with the parliamentary budget cycle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very important. Yeah, it is, um, it is important. Yeah, it pol is, polit it, yeah, politics are hard, man. And, and there is a schedule. Like you, They have a timeline for how they do the budgets, all those types of things. So you're trying to meet targets for like budget consultation, all those types of things. Second has to do with negotiations with the province. The minister has been very clear in all her communication about this benefit that uh, provinces are, and territories are not to be clawing back uh, existing disability supports if individuals are receiving this benefit as well. And that would include even things like if you're eligible for like a free bus pass mm -hmm. or, or things like that. Like she doesn't want any clawback. So, um, update on work with the provinces. Uh, the provinces and territories have all agreed to a work plan. 
um, and there will be another meeting about this in December. Uh, but there has been agreed upon work plan among all the provinces and territories. And then finally, when we get to amount, so people want to know how much money is going to be in my bank account, uh, that actual final amount of the benefit will depend largely on interactions with provinces and territories. Megan, we know there's no such thing as unanimity amongst any community. But as people are taking a look at the early stages of this bill, what are the things that people agree on? Right. So the first one is urgency, right? Um, so uh, several times at uh, the committee hearings, uh, there were stories alluded to, um, not much details was given, but stories of individuals who have considered or been approved for or applied for medical assistance in dying because they cannot afford to live on the disability social assistance rates in this country. I think this morning when I was logging onto Twitter to tweet about this segment, the first tweet that appeared for me in my feed was a tweet of an individual saying, this will be my last tweet. I've been approved for made because of disability poverty. So uh, that, that is, it's huge, it's, hu it's huge. Um, but then the second main thing I would say that there's a lot of unanimity, unanimity, people agree on is the need to <laughs> is the need to have people with disabilities involved in the creation of the benefit. And we can talk about a little bit more, but those are the main two things. We need this, we need this now, people are dying, and we need to have people with disabilities involved in creating this benefit. Okay, so we, we agree on those things. I think that's that's pretty much well understood. Yeah. Even though we're still maybe short on significant details, what are some of the things that people already want to see change? Right. So uh, there have been about 100 briefs submitted to this committee. So that's written letters from individual citizens or people speaking on behalf of organizations saying this is why we need a benefit or this is what it should look like. Not all of those have been made publicly available yet. Uh, but from what is has been made publicly available and from the testimony of the committee, we're starting to hear some things what people would like. The AODA Alliance um, in Ontario has been really spearheading a lot of these conversations about things that they would like to see change. David Leposky, who is the chair of that, was on The Pulse recently discussing this with Juido Gupta. Um, but other organizations and individuals also want there to be changes. So don't just think this is the AODA, like this is AODA Alliance. This is a lot of individuals calling for changes. I'm going to give you some from the AODA, some from other people. The AODA Alliance basic position is that the law itself must be made stronger and we can't leave everything to regulations. Um, so some things we would like to see is in the timeline. Um, this means two things people would like in the legislation there to be a timeline for eliminating disability poverty. The AODA Alliance mentions this. Right now, the text of the bill talks about reducing disability poverty. They say that's not strong enough. We want it eliminated, and we want a timeline for when we can expect this to be eliminated in part or in whole, just like we have that with accessibility standards legislation, right? We say, like, Ontario would be fully accessible by 2025. That was in the law. Why don't we have a timeline in this law? And then they also want a timeline for when regulation are supposed to be created by and when people will receive the benefit. Everybody wants this to be done before 2024, before the timeline that the minister gave. Right. Go yeah. ahead. And then a big one has to do, Dave, this will not surprise you, definitions. So uh, Bill C-22 does not define disability specifically. 
Interesting. Um, and many organizations want to see the definition found in the Accessible Canada Act used in this bill, particularly because that will include individuals with episodic disabilities. So let's say I have MS, I have multiple sclerosis, and sometimes I'm able to like work, like I have a job, I got diagnosed, I'm still able to, to, to do my job, but then I have a flare up and I'm not able to do my job as I, as I would under normal circumstances, that would be captured by having um, episodic disabilities included in the definition of disability in the bill. Um, and then things like uh, some people would like uh, a minimum amount of the benefit established in the legislation. Others would want it specified that the amount will increase uh, indexed to inflation or increase to the disability cost of living or increases every year, that types of thing. Um, then there's things about reviewing it frequently um, and that the benefit be developed at the same time as a national employment strategy for people with disabilities. Uh, Thomas Simpson from the CNIB told the committee that the Canada Disability Benefit must be designed to be a trampoline from poverty to employment rather than a net to catch people. So there's also a lot of discussion about employment for individuals with disabilities. Megan, you laid this out a little bit in your first answer. So don't go too far on this because part of it is speculation. But what are yeah. the next steps from here? Okay, so what uh, we've been told, if you go through committee um, meeting minutes, is that committee members need to submit their amend amendments uh, by the end of the day on December 2nd. And then this committee will begin clause by clause discussion on December 7th. But we need to remember that Christmas break for Parliament begins on December 16th. Mm -hmm. So it does sound like the committee is starting to move towards their clause by clause discussion and discussing how they would like to see the bill change. But we don't know yet when that information will be coming to forward to the House of Commons. And Megan, you've taken in some of this, some of this process, some of these hearings. What stands out to you so far from this process? Um, there were more briefs sent to the committee than I thought there would be. I'm a bit of a pessimist in terms of people engaging on public policy about disability policy. So I, I was happy to see, um, like, there's 100. That's three digits. That, that's good. Um, there is a lot of repetition of many themes. So I like to uh, know that people are actually agreeing with some things. And I also did feel like we needed weeks and weeks and weeks of witness testimony. Um, I feel like people should kind of have an idea of what is, of what is going on. And it's such a short piece of legislation. I'm like, like it's it's very short, as we've discussed yeah, on this yeah. program. Like, I'm not sure why you would be discussing this for weeks. A um, couple of things. Um, I agree wholeheartedly, like with every fiber of my being, that it is a problem that we have Canadians with disabilities in this country dying um, through government-funded means um, because of poverty. That's, like, I 100% agree with that. Just a bit of nuance to the whole made Canada disability benefit conversation. Even if we have, and this is just me talking, even if we have a national disability benefit, Canadians with disabilities will still be able to receive made on the basis of disability because of the wording of the criminal code. So if you want to go after the whole made thing, yes, this is part of the puzzle, but the legislative framework for medical assistance in dying exists in the Criminal Code of Canada. That's a different law. There's more legal strategy that you would need to do that is tailored towards that piece of legislation. Right. This you have, you just, have, you have yeah. to leave made in its own category. We can talk about how made is a is a factor in this conversation, yeah. but it's not like this isn't the place for the made conversation. Well, they, they, they overlap, but it's 
like you can give people all the money that they want and there's other factors like psychological factors emotional factors like philosophical factors that go into the conversation about made that money cannot solve so like made is right and and that becomes this huge bog down factor that if you spend half the committee talking about made as opposed to like framing good good legislation and a good bill we're going to get lost in the weeds and we're going to lose people so yeah I, I i agree megan like there's there's a huge economic component to this and an economic urgency and certainly what you've identified there means yeah. a lot and matters megan we got to get out of here but thank you for this you're welcome. Have a good day. That's Megan Gilmore, accessibility reporter. You can follow follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gilmore, M-E-A-G-A-N-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E, at Megan Gilmore. Coming up next, Louise Levesque-Burley will tell you how you can braille greeting cards for the holidays using chocolate. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head out east and check out what's happening in Moncton, New Brunswick with community reporter Louise Levesque-Burley. Hey, good morning, Louise. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Louise, I'm well. I almost misspoke there because we're not starting just in Moncton or in the great province of New Brunswick. We're going coast to coast with a bistro night. One of the great elements in our conversation and evolving friendship over the last year and a half is the work you've done on these coast-to-coast bistro nights. So what's going on with the format? What's on deck? Well, what's on deck, Dave? It's going to be, uh, as you know, I've been doing it for a couple of years. It's going to be my last gig uh, hosting coast-to-coast bistro night. Um, I'm hoping somebody will step up and continue the journey. It has been amazing. I've met some people that have really, really talent musicians. Um, for the next one, it's December 17th, um, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Atlantic. Uh, bring your good spirit drink, tap your feet. We have 12 amazing uh, performers that will either be singing or playing a tune for us. It's a Christmas one, a week before Christmas. Hey, what can you do? And it's it's an amazing, and I want to thank the team because as you're well aware, Dave, um, you know, you're a host. There's a team behind you that does a lot of logistics Oof, to there get sure us here. There sure is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it's the same with Coast to Coast. Uh, I have a great team, and I want to thank them because no hesitation. Whatever I recommended, they had suggested. We worked as a team, so um you know, and last time we had over 70 listeners across Canada. Um, it is a popular event. Um, so, yeah, Coast to Coast Bistro Night was born through COVID. Uh, Louise, why are you moving on? I am. Uh, well, you know, there comes a time, Dave, where uh, things need to be different. Um, I think now a lot of people are not so much Zooming. Um, they're out and about and doing different things. And 
uh, you know, my business is picked up. So because of that, I need to let go of different yeah. things. Yeah, priorities, right? In life, in yeah, life our yeah, priorities you change. Prior- you have to move yeah. on. And even if we enjoy doing something exactly. from, from time to time, we have to put them away. And we say, what a great experience. And Absolutely. hopefully somebody picks up the mantle. But for now, we have a great coup de grace. To, to wrap it up at the uh, at, at later on. Louise, we're a little short on time here, so I'm, I'm going to yes. race through some holiday topics with you. But you've yes. got an idea to incorporate Braille into holiday greeting cards. Well, but look in, at this, Dave. Well, yeah, using look a little bit of chocolate. This. Yes, this is a mole I bought on the Braille chocolate, uh, the Braille chocolate, <laughs> the Braille Superstore, their molds, and this one's Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday. You melt chocolate, you put it in the freezer 20 minutes, and it comes out into a chocolate Christmas card. And so you don't only eat it, you put it into saran wrap or whatever, and you give it away to somebody for Christmas. They have different ones. They have happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, Have a nice day. Uh, Just shop at the uh, Braille Superstore and you'll never be disappointed. I love that. What a great way of incorporating uh, a different kind of Braille to uh, to say hello and happy holidays to folks. Again, we always yeah. remind folks that uh, BrailleBookstore.com, BrailleBookstore.com is where Louise does some of this retail therapy. <laughs> uh, and Louise, while we're talking about the holidays, it's the last time you and I are going to get together before uh, Christmas and Hanukkah and all the other great festivities yes. that take, take, uh, take place this time of year. So a greeting card is usually attached to a gift. Louise, if I'm going to confess to you, one of my biggest holiday weaknesses is I am terrible at wrapping gifts. It's become something of a joke inside the family. Well, I have a solution for you, Dave. Lay it on me. Here's here's a gift bag. Can you see this? It's uh, plastic. I'm going to put, you just open it up. Uh, I'm putting my iPhone because that's all I got here. Oh, that's a good gift. And yeah, exactly. And also I have to do the ribbons are attached. I pull it and then make a bow and you have done the wrapping. You don't need scotch tapes. You don't need anything. Uh, you don't need a sighted person to help you match the ribbon and the scotch tape and the paper <laughs> and the paper. You know how you store it and it gets all wrinkly and then all of these things. This is I bought on the shopping channel last year. It is amazing, and you still can make. Uh, it doesn't take you as long because each bag is Christmassy. Um, there are some red ones and silver and gold, so you can make it for other occasions too. And because it, they are recyclable, people that I've given them last year, they're going to reuse them this year, yes, and yes. the tags come with it. So it's so simple, Dave. When you get to my age, you want simplicity. (laughs) (laughs) Louise, let me tell you, I don't know what it is about gift wrapping, but I can never cut the right size piece of paper. It's either too big or too small. Yeah, and crooked. And oh, crooked is a guarantee. It like it's preposterous. I almost failed kindergarten because I couldn't pass the art class, which is maybe a, a, a broader question about accessibility and inclusion and in education. But we don't have enough time yeah, for that yeah. one today, exactly. Louise. How we know you're very good at retail. Retail is something Louise Levesque Burley has a lot of skill in. How is the holiday shopping going? Done. Done. It's not even Louise. It's not even December first. 
I know, but you know what, Dave? I did all in July because everything was on sale, Christmas in July. And I knew that the inflation would be, you know, here and things are double the price now. So day O-N-E for me, just a wrapping time. <laughs> Louise, I know your uh, your business is busy, but uh, life coaching for Dave Brown, we could include that in your, uh, include that in your profile, your business services. Absolutely. When I grew up, I want to be like Louise Levesque Burley. Uh, Louise, happy holidays to you and the family. Happy All the best. Happy holidays to you and your team. And Dave, I am making this weekend for you and your team some Braille Christmas cards. So you'll be expecting a box of Braille Christmas cards. Right on. Hopefully it gets to me a little Choc- more uh, fluidly than the Purdy's chocolate you sent me earlier this year. <laughs> Yeah, we will. Yeah. We, you can compare and we can discuss it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if that one ends up in Peter Burke's office as well. That That's where the first yeah, box exactly. of Purdy's ended up. It ended up in an office on the other side of the building, but that's okay. Yeah. It eventually yeah. got to me. Then there were two boxes of chocolate in my life. Louise, your kindness yeah. is always appreciated. All the best to you and the family. And you too, Dave, and to your team. That is Louise Levesque Burley community reporter in Moncton, New Brunswick. We had to race through there a couple details. I didn't give you all the websites and the phone numbers and the places to go, the coordinates about these neat things that Louise had on offer, but you know where you can find out more. Our blog, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news update and Brock Richardson will be here for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday, November the 29th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, a new study from Science Journal looks at the benefits of AirPods for people with moderate hearing loss. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will share those findings. And it's another edition of the weekly news quiz. Ryan Delahanty, Karen McGee, and Alex Smythe will be, will be put to the test by me, which is good because I need an update on what happened in the news in the last week because your boy unplugged quite a bit while I was away and my mental health is 77 times better because of it. So let's make all of our mental health 77% worse as we look at the regional news update. I don't know if I mean that in earnest, but I'll tell you, not reading or watching or listening to the news for 10 days You feel much better about the world. Ignorance is indeed bliss. But you are not ignorant because you spend time with us here on Now with Dave Brown. We're making ourselves more well-rounded humans together. British Columbia is getting a new medical school at Simon Fraser University. Premier David Eby says this is a piece of a much bigger healthcare puzzle. Uh, There are considerable logistics behind setting up a new medical school and doing it properly. And so that work is uh, underway, and we're going as quickly as we can. But it's important for British Columbians to recognize this medical school is not going to solve the urgent issues we face today. This is a long-term investment in a secure public health care system that works for everybody in our province. The first graduating class from the SFU Med School is slated for 2030. 
Over to the prairies, the Manitoba government is temporarily halting any new connections of cryptocurrency operations to the hydroelectric grid. Finance Minister Cameron Friesian says there will be an 18-month freeze, pausing, or freeze, pause, pause, freeze, pending a review of the industry's energy demands. Blockchain technology uses large amounts of energy to process transactions. Minister Friesen explains the cost of building adequate infrastructure. We can't simply say, well, anyone can take whatever they want to take and we'll simply build dams. Well, the last one cost $13 billion if you priced in the bipole line. Earlier this month, Hydro-Quebec announced it would ask regulators to suspend its energy allocation process to the blockchain industry. Let's head over to Ontario, where Ontario residents have been visiting food banks in greater numbers and more often for six years running. John Kennedy has the latest data. The annual hunger report, subtitled The Deepening Cracks in Ontario's Economic Foundation, found 587,000 adults and children visited the province's food banks a total of 4.3 million times between April 1, 2021 and March 31, 2022. Feed Ontario said that represents a 15% spike in the number of people turning to food banks for aid and a 42% surge in the number of visits compared to the numbers recorded in 2019. John Kennedy, The Canadian Press. And Let's finish off in Atlantic Canada, where daycare fees are to drop 25% in Nova Scotia beginning on December the 31st. The new reduction was announced yesterday, and it builds on a 25% fee cut that took effect on April the 1st. Early Childhood Development Minister Becky Durham says fees will be 50% lower on average compared to 2019 for infants, toddlers, and preschoolers. The latest cut will be funded by a $605 million fund that was set up under the provincial federal child care agreement signed in 2021. And then over to PEI, where the Charlottetown Airport is about to get a $20 million facelift. The Charlottetown Airport Authority announced that the expansion of the terminal is expected to take four to five years. The departure lounge is also among the areas that will be expanded. A request for proposals has been issued to hire a consultant and an architect. That's your look at the regional news. Let's say hello to Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, we're all about transparency on Now with Dave Brown. I've been having technical issues up the wazoo this morning on my first day back at the office. And that includes being unable to open a document that you sent me with your sports chat topics. So, Brock, you need to lead the conversation for me. What's the first thing you want to talk about? All good. I'll lead the conversation, no problem. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is what you want to talk about and the fact that you haven't been here for eight days. So what is itching in the now with Dave Brown brain about sports? Uh, The World Cup has been really engaging thus far. I don't know about 5 a.m. starts. That officially ends as of this morning with games starting just a couple of moments ago. These next four days are probably the four most compelling days of the tournament in the sense that almost every group has three teams who are still mathematically alive. Some groups, like Group B this afternoon, have four teams who are still mathematically alive with games going on at the same time. Brock, these are exciting moments to see Who's ready to play in this third game? We had some stunners in the first games. We had some stunners in the second games. But now it's time for the brass tacks. So teams like 
the USA, for example, have a must-win game against Iran this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time. USA has played well, maybe not great, with an inability to finish. Iran was dreadful in the first game and super impressive against Wales in the second game. So you're, got, you're going to get all these games where teams control their own destiny, where a win can get you in to the knockout stage. Brock, the World Cup, the morally abhorrent backdrop to the tournament aside, has been very compelling TV despite some very low-scoring games. Yeah, it has. And, I, you know, speaking of transparency, you know, going into this World Cup, this is the first World Cup that I have said, OK, I'm going to I'm going to dive all in on this one. I'm going to watch this. I dove in on the Euro Cup a couple of years ago uh, as per Andy Frank's suggestion. He said, you know, it's really good. And I thought, OK, let me let me give the World Cup a chance here. And I have to be honest with you, there have been games uh, that I have been really, really engage with and most people will say uh soccer is like watching paint dry i actually disagree well there have been there have been a couple there have been a couple games during this tournament (laughs) where that has been the case Uh, yeah but but if you're watching it for the right reasons and you're just like the 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 tactical part of things it's like this is really entertaining and today was the day that i'm looking forward to and of course we're going to debrief it tomorrow when we uh, convene again, but today is the day that I'm looking forward to too, for that exact same reason, because teams are exactly where they want to be. You want a chance in game three to, you know, see whether you're going to contend or pretend. And so we're going to, we're going to see today what's happening. And, uh, the Netherlands kick things off today, which I always like watching them particularly because I can see them because they're bright orange on the screen. So there you go. That, that's helpful. But yeah, no, the world cup, I agree has been, Really, really good to watch. And today will be no different. Uh, My second topic for you is to give you an update on the Para Ice Hockey Cup happening in Nova Scotia. We're second day into the event. And here's the two results I have for you. Canada versus Czech Republic. Canada wins 5-0. United States versus Italy. uh, United States wins 9-2. Which... Sets us up for a situation where the uh, Canada versus U.S., two undefeated teams, no surprise there. And then um, the other two teams are looking for their first wins. So the winner will take on the uh, winner of the Canada. No, the winner of Italy and Czech Republic will take on the loser of Canada versus U.S. in the semifinals. So that's going to be taking place throughout the rest of the week. And today there are no games on the schedule. Okay, so I see there's a little bit of a trick to the format here that says the team who wins this this four-piece group gets an automatic bid to the finals. But whoever loses Canada versus versus USA today has to play a semifinal game. No, so what what you get, you you all play semifinal, but the, the winner... I may have misspoke here. The winner gets the lowest seed in the semifinal. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it's going to go. All four teams will end up playing in the semifinal. It's just a question of where exactly you set yourself up in the semifinal. (laughs) And either way, it looks like Canada and the USA are going to avoid each other. You said semifinal. Exactly. And, And they are going to because they're both undefeated. And so no matter what 
who wins, who loses. And, and to be honest with you, this is the format that I look at and I go, I'm not really a fan of it. Because when you watch Canada versus U.S., U.S. tends to not show themselves in this round-robin game. They tend to kind of play a little bit down and let Canada kind of stay in the game. And then they come out in the final and they're like, here's what we didn't show you. Right, right. This is the part where I'm like, there's no skin in the game for either nation. It's just an extra opportunity, which I'm all for, but it's an extra opportunity for Canada and U.S. to play each other. And if they're not going to show their best, I don't don't like it. Brock, it seems like largely, especially in para hockey, Canada is really chasing that U.S. ghost right now. It seems like the USA is just a little bit ahead in the way they've developed their sport. I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Why do you think the United States seems to be a little bit ahead in the development in their para hockey? Um, it's, it's, I have a theory, by the way, I I have a theory, by the way, but I'll let you go first. It's something that I've been, I've been grappling with. I actually think that, um, the United States puts more emphasis on their army and Navy. So you're talking about guys like Declan Farmer who have one missing limb, who it really doesn't impact his ability to play hockey. He's all over the ice. He's small. He's speedy. They they put an emphasis on people who have missing limbs, which doesn't really affect your your upper body because most of the time it's a missing leg. Whereas Canada puts more emphasis on the disability aspect where you see more effect in people. And I just think USA overall is a faster team because of it. And yeah, I, I there's been a lot of 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 questioning Canada and their talent pool and where they're picking them from because the U.S. is that much further. And Canada has not won this event specifically since 2013. And so this has been a long time coming, and I hope to see a different result in this year, but I have my doubts. One of my observations about hockey development in the U.S. in general is they take a lot of pride in creating a framework to develop skill. USA Hockey will take a lot of these equity programs underneath their umbrella and work really, really hard to integrate resources in their mainstays, right? They have huge development camps in Michigan where it's not just elite men's hockey. It's para-hockey, it's women's hockey, it's all forms of hockey. And the, the flip side of this is we see the Americans chasing Canadians in blind hockey and I feel like the Americans are going to close that gap as well, again, because of the way that U.S. Hockey, Hockey USA, has taken blind hockey under its wing and the way that NHL teams have also partnered with local grassroots blind hockey teams, which we just haven't seen the same thing in Canada. USA Hockey, for all of its flaws, much like Hockey Canada has flaws, has figured out how to build streamlined, well-resourced equity programs that pays Huge dividends in para hockey. There's a huge reason why women's hockey in the U.S. is very much on par, if not better, than women's hockey in Canada. They're doing a lot of things really well in their equity programs. And and to your point, what you hit on there uh, with the backing, I'll even take it a step further and tell you even even the the you know not national programs in the United States, as you point out, the grassroots. Buffalo uh, teams all have the support of the Buffalo Sabres. They they wear the exact same uniform as the Buffalo Sabres. Canada does not have that 
Canadian affiliate of a hockey team. You do not see NHL teams backing them as much. They might be backing them a little bit. I can't speak to if they do at all, but you can see uh, visually on the ice how much USA Hockey and NHL works the partnerships in the grassroots, as you mentioned, and that is where Canada fails. And part of the reason where I think also Canada sort of fails, for lack of a better phrase, in this department is they're not willing to do a full full rebuild. They, they're they're de- deciding some years, okay, we're going to go all veteran because we, we're going to do that. They did that in Beijing. They got second place. Everyone wasn't happy. This year, they've decided we're going to go mix between veteran and and new players, and it's literally split down the middle. You're not, they're not willing to, to say, okay, we're going to go full rebuild or we're going to go full, full veteran. They, they, they will not make that cut and say, this, this is where we're going to do. And if they do not win to the United States, this is going to call into question what they need to do in the future because I'll be coming on this program uh, Monday morning telling you exactly what I feel when I see Canada and the United States play in the gold medal game depending on the result. Brock, let's finish up in the world of professional hockey. You had an observation here about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Detroit Red Wings, who played a pretty good game uh, last night. But what's your observation on the Leafs and the Red Wings? And we should note the Leafs on one of their best historical streaks ever in regards to winning games, despite all kinds of injuries to the squad. So this, that's exactly where I wanted to go here. Uh, Toronto beats Detroit last night. Uh, which marks their month of November as a 10 and one month. If Oof. we f- if rewind to last year, here's the record: 12, two and one. It looks very, very similar. Of uh, one more loss, of course. There, but when you see this Toronto Maple Leaf team in November, they they play really well, and this is where they have to sustain it. And with all these injuries, and I was very critical of Matt Murray. Matt Murray has looked really, really good coming off of injury, and you need that goaltender to be able to sustain you during these runs because this is what the Leafs needed to do after coming off back-to-back years of 500 record uh, months. And again, last night, the the Edmonton Oilers had a a wonderful game of 4-3 in overtime against the Florida Panthers. So lots of good stuff happening in hockey in Canada as a whole. Lots of good stuff happening in the world of sports generally. Brock, you enjoy this day of World Cup action, NHL tonight, NBA, all that good stuff, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. But before I say fully goodbye, my friend, it is Tuesday, which means that a new episode of The Neutral Zone drops at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and a little bit later on your favorite podcasting platform. What's coming up on the show today? We had a real uh, fantastic conversation with two-time Paralympic athlete Tony Walby, Uh, who is a judo athlete. He is currently preparing to represent Canada in the IBSA Judo Para Pan American Championships beginning on December 11th, 2022 in Edmonton. And he is a wealth of knowledge. We are going to have him back on the program to discuss his other hats that he wears. But it was a wonderful interview we had. And so look forward for that. Very good, Brock. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We will indeed. That's Brock Richardson. He's the host of The Neutral Zone, which you can find Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, including YouTube. Everyone loves a good YouTube podcast. No logins. Just open up the app, punch in what you're looking for, and bada-bing, bada-boom. 
YouTube in your eyes and ears. Let's bring in Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather updates. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting over in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, there's snow flurries this morning. Then it moves into possible rain in the afternoon with two centimeters expected. Uh, minus three is the high. Uh, Charlottetown PEI, it's cloudy with possible snow, then turning to a mix of sun and clouds in the afternoon with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of one. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's mainly sunny today. It's not really much cloud cover or anything. The high is zero. It's not too bad of a day for late November. Over to Quebec City, Quebec. There's clouds in the morning, but it's clearing out for sunshine. And minus four is the high there. Over in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy, but a high of six. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's cloudy with rain beginning this afternoon and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. Six is a high there as well. In Brandon, Manitoba, there's snow flurries today with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per, uh, per hour. The high is minus four, but with the wind chill, it makes it feel like minus 18. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's light and blowing snow today with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. And the high is minus 8, but again with the wind chill, it feels like minus 17. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's cloudy with a chance of snow and then becomes a mix of sun and clouds later. The high is minus 14, but with that wind chill, it feels closer to minus 27 this morning. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow flurries. A high of minus 15, but you guessed it with the wind chill, feels like minus 28. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, there's snow off and on today with up to two centimeters expected. Minus 18 is the high, and with that wind chill, it's more like minus 33. So very, very cold over in the prairies and territories. Over to Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy today with a chance of snow in the afternoon, and minus nine is the high there. Finally, in Vancouver, it's mainly cloudy with snow beginning in the afternoon and a special weather statement is in effect due to those wintry conditions. The high there is zero. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. We'll talk to you again in a couple of minutes, but coming up next, a new study from the iScience Journal looks at the benefits of AirPods for people with moderate hearing loss. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will share some of the findings. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head out to Edmonton, Alberta to catch up with Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So, Nelson, let's start in the world of academia. A new study published in the journal iScience finds that AirPods can help people with moderate hearing loss. Nelson, before we talk about the findings themselves, who conducted the research? Uh, it was actually conducted out in Taiwan. Um, so, uh, the, uh, they had 21, uh, patients that, uh, were part of the study and, uh, the average age of the, um, participants were about 41 years of age. 
And uh, like you said, um, uh, from mild to moderate uh, hearing loss, uh, they tested them uh, in this uh, study. So that's the methodology. What did they find in regards to the way that AirPods could benefit people with moderate hearing loss? Well, uh, they had interesting results. So uh, by utilizing uh, Apple's uh, built-in live listen feature, uh, they found that uh, in comparison with the uh, the premium uh, hearing aids, uh, the AirPods 2 uh, did not do so well compared to the other devices, but it was they thought it was better than not using anything. Uh, for the AirPods Pro, uh, they actually thought it was just as good as the basic um, uh, hearing aids, so which some of them could be like a few thousand dollars. So, uh, so in comparison to those devices, the uh, the AirPods Pro did pretty well in a quiet environment, uh, not so well in a, a really noisy environment uh, when there was noise coming from the front, um, but the side noise, uh, it actually did pretty well uh, with um, in comparison with the other hearing devices. So it was um, an interesting result. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's something that people can utilize because uh, there is a stigma out there having hearing aids. So, uh, you know, the AirPods Pro is, is not, uh, you know, something that people would assume that uh, is a hearing aid device. So it was a, a pretty good result, I guess, for the AirPods Pro, not so much for the AirPods uh, uh, 2, uh, but definitely for, for someone who uh, was looking at uh, improving their hearing and is not ready for hearing aids yet, uh, uh, they do suggest that uh, devices like this can be helpful for those uh, with uh, uh, some hearing loss uh, because most people who actually uh, do lose their hearing uh, actually don't use hearing aids. No, many don't. Many don't. As you mentioned, sometimes it's stigma, sometimes it's cost, sometimes it's something in between, maybe inconvenience or uncomfortability of the hearing aid. Nelson, here's my question, though, because this is really important. How does an AirPod end up being a benefit for someone with moderate hearing loss? Uh, like well, what's like it, what's the technology? How is it making? How is it improving the hearing experience for someone? Yeah. So to give an example, so if someone goes into the accessibility uh, settings, uh, or actually under the control center, uh, you can enable the live listen feature, and it'll actually utilize the microphone on the iPhone itself, and then it'll transmit uh, the audio from uh, to Bluetooth to the AirPods Pro in real time. So as long as you have the the phone near where the uh, person or, or where you're trying to listen to is, is relatively nearby, it'll actually do a pretty good job in real time uh, picking up the, the audio of uh, whoever's speaking or, or whatever you're trying to listen to. So it's a, it'd be good if you're in a setting where uh, there's a speaker and you're maybe you're a little bit far. Uh, so it'd be good in that sort of setting. Uh, but there's n- numerous uses people could use this for. Uh, but keep in mind, if you do have voiceover, uh, it does have the voiceover go through the the speaker on the device so uh, you would have to um, uh, mute the voiceover if you do need uh, voiceover for whatever reason uh, for those who have uh, vision and hearing problems. Nelson as we broaden this out a little bit what are some other notable companies who are working on assistive devices for hearing loss? Yeah the good thing about this is that other mainstream companies are are looking at this as well so we're looking at Sony, uh, Bose is is doing similar technology, uh, Jabra, uh, who's known for um, uh, Bluetooth headsets. So uh, those three companies, and probably a lot more out there that are, uh, um, you know, names that we're not familiar with that are looking into it that are probably more economical brands. But, uh, um, you know, something like this is, is going to be beneficial to people uh, that have mild and moderate uh, hearing loss. Uh, uh, obviously, it's not going to help those with, um, you know, more hearing loss, but uh, it, it does extend out to those people 
you do need that uh, something. Um, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, most people, like I said, uh, really don't utilize uh, hearing aids as they age, and you know, as uh, you know, people get older, it's it's something that could be beneficial and it, it could be isolating if uh, if you don't. Uh, if you don't have uh, that, the means to communicate with other people. It's also nice to have one device, right? You're not trying to switch between four or five different things to get your needs exactly. met. That you just have one set of AirPods or earbuds that do this for you. So that there's definitely something to that as technology continues to get a little bit more mainstream on the inclusion front. Nelson, let's talk about community because there's been a website created called Vision Village that's aiming to connect teenagers who are living with vision loss. What's the story behind this website yeah uh, this uh, started with a, a teenager name is uh, I think Talia Braun um, so she was experiencing some isolation uh, because she, she was when she was growing up uh, she had a prosthetic eye and uh, she felt isolated uh, from other kids um, who may not have thought that that was something that they wanted to associate with uh, you know kids can be pretty mean uh, at that age so uh, she felt uh, really isolated growing up, and she didn't want other people to feel the same way. Um, so with the help of her father, she launched a website, a virtual pen pal uh, website. Uh, last I checked, there's uh, 30 kids from age 6 to 16 uh, where you can actually see someone's profile. Not all of them are there, but there's probably, I think there's like four or five that I saw in there. Uh, so you can just connect with uh, an individual or, or whoever they feel like the, you can match up to and and it's uh, kind of a cool idea uh, that she's able to do this with her dad and and uh, allows these kids to have, you know, who have similar situations to sort of reach out to someone and have something in common with them. Because uh, you might not have that in your local school setting. So, and this is simply done through uh, her website. And it's actually a, a we are a vision village, uh, dot org, uh, all one word. So if uh, you look out for it, um, that's her website. So, and it's it's pretty cool. So, and she's looking to actually start up a app as well uh, to, f- to find more people who are interested in doing this. And uh, she's actually getting people to uh, send her donations as well to uh, help her with the website. So, uh, it's a pretty cool idea that she's doing this. And and it's um, you know it's a good time of year. Uh, especially when the kids are feeling a little bit isolated uh, with holidays around the corner. Nelson, you said that fairly quickly. What's the website address one more time? Uh, we are visionvillage.org, all one word. Right on. Hey, Nelson, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Awesome. Take care. That's Nelson Rego, the founder of Cool Blind Tech. want to remind you that uh, the holiday season is around the corner. And as a result, our friends at the Tripping on Air podcast are getting into the spirit with a special giveaway. If you visit ami.ca slash TOA contest, you can review the list of prizes they're giving away as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide. Be sure to enter for your chance to win. The contest closes December the 1st. That's this week at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So hurry up. Winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping On Air Instagram page. So let me give you that website one more time for you to get your entrance in. It's the AMI ca slash toa contest that's where you can review some of the prizes that are up for grabs and again that deadline is december the 1st at 11 59 a.m p.m eastern time again that's this week urgency maybe you've been putting it off maybe you've been procrastinating 
It's time to make your move to win some of these sweet, sweet prizes from Tripping on Air. And don't forget to listen to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Ardra Shepard is awesome. Coming up after the break, we'll bring together the round table with Alex and Ramya and Grace. We're going to be talking about the benefits of keeping a clean apartment or house, but maybe some of the spots that we neglect to get at for whatever reasons. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring together some of the crew to have a conversation about my own meandering experience and how it may relate to your own meandering life experiences. Let's bring in the co-host of Kelly and Company. It's Ramya Amuthan. Good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. And saying hello once again to Alex Smythe. Hello, Alex. Hello, hello. And we'll also bring in Grace a little bit later, but no need to say hi to Grace right now. But Grace does have a thought on this too. So guys, I was on vacation. As y'all know, Alex did a great job filling in for me. I spent the weekend coming back from Montreal saying to myself, Dave, you're a dirty person. And you live in a dirty space. And it's time to do a deep clean and a purge. And that I did. There were a few horrifyingly dirty spots on high shelves or behind a bunch of AMI gear that's taken up way too much space on my desk. But the thing that really got me, guys, the doorknobs and the door handles. I know I give them a good wipe down every now and then with a disinfectant wipe. But oof, never a scrubbing. And some of the stuff I found when I scrubbed those bad boys, oh my goodness, I am a filthy, filthy person. Ramya, what's the spot around the apartment that you sometimes neglect to clean? Okay, all the time behind the fridge, behind the stove, anything that I need to move. And this is why I, I think I've become such a minimalist because I don't like moving furniture to clean behind it. And yet I find it really gross not to do it. So I don't know good days, like maybe every three-ish months, I will move everything, like absolutely oh, yeah. everything and vacuum because I love the feeling after vacuuming. But seriously though, the, the fridge and the stove, it's like your kitchen is used all the time, right? At least at my house, it's used all the time. And so stuff, debris, kibble, like my dog's kibble, whatever, food, everything gets under there, but it doesn't get cleaned as much as it should. Yeah, I'm still looking for that blueberry that I dropped uh, some, right? somewhere a couple of weeks ago. We, Thought we, about that. Yeah, we don't know where that is right now. It's it's still somewhere in the mix. Alex, what about you? Uh, yeah, so uh, thinking about this, like we're currently in the midst of a whole renovation in our basement. But before that, it was always the downstairs like interior window wells. And I don't know why. I always neglected them. It's like from dusting and cleaning and and all that stuff. It's just I didn't want to deal with it. They were they were easily within reach. I could see they were dirty. I mean, there was a bunch of cobwebs and things like that. And it was just like I'll do it next time. And then it gets to a certain point where it's like, eh, there's too many cobwebs. I don't want to deal with it. You know, there's too many spiders yeah, in the area. Yeah, it's but, at this uh, point, it's too I, dirty know, to clean. 
<laughs> exactly. But there was no logical, real rationale to it. It's just like, ah, no, I see it. I'll, I'll get it next time. I did the vacuuming. I did the dusting everywhere else. I cleaned it. So it, that was certainly one. The other one is there's certain, like, bookshelves that we have that there's just so many delicate things on them that are, like, propped up and displayed that it's really hard to, like, dust in there because it's like you're afraid you're going to knock something over or you're going to, like, move everything around or potentially break oh, something. Yeah, so it's like, you, in that case, Alex, you have to take everything yeah. off the shelf because you have to make sure that no. the shelf is completely empty so you can give it a proper scrub. I'm not doing that. <laughs> why, why would I take everything <laughs> off to clean it? No. I'm a lazy, efficient person, Dave. I I run the duster around. You know, dust doesn't collect underneath the items under a, that is a solid base. So that is incorrect. It, if the base is uh, sealed and solid, it's not going to collect dust. In my mind, that's how it's going to go, okay? So I, I'm going to run the duster in and around it, polish up as much as I can, and move on and forget about it for the next three, four months. <laughs> Rumi, or heard... you just don't own bookshelves. Or so, my, my Ramya, tell me more about this minimalism. I don't own bookshelves. I don't like. I have like a drawer full of papers, and then if any, if there's too much paper to go in that drawer, then it gets thrown out. Like I really don't know what to tell you other than that because I don't want to clean. I go to my mom's house. She's got a garage full of bookshelves. Her uh, living room's got bookshelves. She's got bookshelves everywhere. But I feel like there's more than one reason why I don't want to do paper anymore. Um, and I don't <laughs> like dusting either, but. It's got to be done. The thing is, if I'm going to go in cleaning, it's got to be all in, right? So I can't do the um, lazy, efficient way, as you called it, Alex. It's got to be thorough, complete. You know, you wash, you rinse, you dry, like the whole thing, right? But I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I know uh, I will hardly get any sympathy from either of you, but I'm hoping to get a little bit of empathy on this front because I mentioned the back of my desk at home was just horrifyingly dirty and it's a place that I don't typically clean because it's cluttered with microphones and cameras and 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 other pieces of AMI broadcast equipment that I never use but has to be there in case of emergencies guys how do you handle that do you take everything off the desk do you keep things stored somewhere and reset them up every time you need to to maybe get around the issue that i found which was my gosh i've been breathing this nasty filth into my lungs every time i use my computer at home ramya yeah i have to take everything off. that's the thing so you asked me like this minimalist situation and it's because the less stuff you have the less you have to clean or the less you have things you have to move on and off surfaces when you clean. Um, I'd say my desk is probably the thing in my house that has the most stuff on it, but everything has to come off for me to clean. Because, you know, there's like that spot once you were having, you know, orange juice or coffee or whatever <laughs> it was and that sticky spot you miss. Like you got to get all that off if you're cleaning. Yeah. Let alone my Dave, Dave let alone my Dave filth when I'm sweating all over, when I'm sweating all over the desk typing because even typing makes me sweaty because I'm a beast. Alex, what about you? Do you like you said this, the bookshelf, you're not taking everything off. What about a space around technology? So for my desk, I mean, it's just literally gotten more cluttered in this uh, last couple of days. Because I know you brought, a big, box you brought a big box home from Toronto. Yeah, exactly. So now I have more things to fill my desk. Luckily, it's a it's a large desk. I have a, a lot of space to move around. I will say I won't move or clear off everything to give it a good wipe down. I'll, I'll wipe around and clean everything around here. It's a lot more manageable. I can move it 
wipe it, put it back. But I'll just try to keep as many things off the desk as possible, just leaving on really what I need for work. Now, that said, I, I do have a corner over here that is slightly off camera that people are not going to see that it's filled with a bunch of different things because I, I use this desk in this office area for, for my like personal and games and stuff like that. So I have like uh, trivial questions and things like that, but that's beside the point. So I will say, yes, I will clean around. I won't take everything off. I'll move it on a need to move basis and just try to <laughs> maintain the level of stuff on my desk. Yeah. I, uh, in the way that Rumyeth is says paper is her nemesis. My nemesis is wires. If our colleague from our IT department, Leanne Brown came by to see the way my wires are organized around my desk right now, she would probably throttle me. She'd probably choke me with yep. the wires. Unfortunately, they're so tangled, she wouldn't be able to get them around my neck. So it's actually more <laughs> of a safety thing in the way that I'm currently set up. Before I bring in Rumya one more time for a Kelly and Company preview, I do want to chime in here for with Grace Scofield. Grace, this isn't necessarily related to deep cleaning, but you did a little retail therapy here on Cyber Monday. Grace, what did you buy? I bought myself a cordless vacuum. Oh, yes. yes. I did it. Preach. I found a deal. It was like 60% off. I got it for like, I think it was like 600 something originally. I got it for 200 something. Woo. I was very excited about it. It has like nine attachments and dusting desks and around wires mm -hmm. is so much better with this cordless vacuum. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Sales pitch with Grace. Yeah. We like that. We need, we need an Amazon affiliate page here over on the show. We can just start uh, putting our favorite things in there. Grace, thank you for your thoughts on that one. Alex, thank you. Don't go too far because you'll be back for the news quiz next segment. But Ramya, before I say goodbye to you, what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time? Well, we have our wellness check-in, check, uh, check -in, our segment with Frances Wong, and she's sharing how you can use mindful eating to help manage your eating habits. And this, oh of course, gosh. leading up to <laughs> all the overeating that we're all going to do during the holidays, right? So uh, mindful eating is our conversation today. Uh, we're also checking in with Melanie Tadio, the Connect for Life founder. She's got a lot of updates for us about the organization, about advocacy uh, initiatives that are going on. So looking forward to that one. And we're chatting with Rhonda Solomon. She's a PhD student at the University of Toronto about her research on her um, on toilet provisions for people with disabilities. This is a huge thing. It's very specific, but it's huge in the mm -hmm. way that she's going to talk about mm -hmm. it. Um, we'll find out more. It's one of the most basic ways we can include people is making sure yes. they can go to the bathroom independently and comfortably. Ramya, thank you for this. I always appreciate thank your you. insight. We, I missed you while I was on vacation. Have a great day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. We miss you too, Dave. Thank you. That's Ramya Emuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming your way next, it's the Weekly News Quiz. I'll be putting Alex, Karen McGee, and Ryan Delahanty to the test. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's Tuesday. It's the last segment of the show. You know what that means. It's time for the weekly news quiz. Well, 
Oh, that is indeed right. Let's welcome in our contestants for the show. It's the man who puts the Burley in Burlington. It's Alex Smythe. Okay, maybe no sound from Alex just yet. Well, let's bring in the person who makes Halifax hella fun. It's Ryan Delahanty. Thanks for having me. I thought I was on the running man with that intro. <laughs> we have our moments. And let's bring in the river watcher herself, Karen McGee, monitoring the St. Lawrence River, looking for those boats, boats, boats in Morrisburg, Ontario. Hello, Karen. Do we have time for the quiz after that? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how long. We'll see how long the intros can be. Uh, do we actually have Alex? Can I hear Alex Smythe coming down the line? Hello, hello, Dave. Hey, there's the burliness in Burlington that we've come to enjoy. Just in case this is your first ever time consuming the weekly news quiz, here are the rules. There are three rounds of questions, three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. A lot of threes there. It's almost like Greek mythology. If they answer the question without hearing the option, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one point. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants and questions have been determined by Paul Daniel. The order is Ryan, Karen, and Alex. Ryan, beginning with you, at the World Cup in Qatar, FIFA said it would issue yellow cards if players were if players wore what item of clothing? I will need the options here. Is it armbands supporting Ukraine, armbands supporting LGBTQ rights, or armbands supporting migrant workers in Qatar? Oh, wow. Um, I'll guess migrant workers. That is incorrect. So, Karen, do you need those options again? No, the answer is LGBTQ rights. That is correct. FIFA threatened yellow cards for people who wore armbands with the colors of the pride flag on them. Homosexuality is a crime in Qatar. The German team uh, in their team photo put their mouths over their hands to indicate that they were being silenced. One point for Karen. Karen, question number two coming to you. Five people died last weekend in a shooting at Club Q, an LGBTQ nightclub in which American city? Colorado Springs. That is correct. Two points for Karen, and I'm not putting fun intonation on this because it's a terrible story. An attacker opened fire at the club on Saturday, killing five people and wounding more than a dozen others. Alex, question number three coming to you. Karen, by the way, having a three-nothing lead on the two fellas right now. Alex, Nessa's Orion spacecraft flew within 81 miles of the surface of which celestial body last Monday? Ooh, I, I somehow missed this one, so I'll need the options. Dan. Is it Jupiter, Saturn, or the moon? I'm going to say the moon. That is correct. One point for Alex. Orion flew past the moon's far side on Monday. The spacecraft, which has no humans on board, is part of the Artemis One mission, the first stage of a multi-year plan to return humans to the surface of the moon, where we will conquer it again and show those moon men what's up and bring lots of rocks home. More rocks. After one round, we have Karen with three points. Alex with one point. Ryan sitting on the moon-shaped goose egg with zero. Round two starts with Karen McGee. Karen, Canada's national para-hockey team started strong at the 2022 Para-Hockey Cup with a dominant win, 8 nothing, in Nova Scotia. Who was their opponent? I saw the article. 
I'll need the choices, though. And you missed Brock Richardson's sports chat just a little bit earlier I this had a hour. meeting with Kara. Oh, I had, I'm blaming uh, Kara. I had a meeting with Kara. Very impossible to uh, catch up with, with, with anything else when you're talking to Kara and I. I look forward to my meeting with her tomorrow. I have things to discuss. Uh, Kara, Uh-oh. was it Italy? Was it Czechia? Or was it the USA? I'm going to say Italy. That was my first um, instinct. So let's go with Italy. That is correct. Two points for Karen McGee. Now up to a 5-1-0 lead for Karen McGee. Six different Canadians delivered multi-point performances with James Dunn's hat-trick leading the way. Canada's 48 shots on goal set a new pair of hockey cup record for most shots in a game by one team, including 20 in the first period. Question number two of round number two going to Alex. Alex and Ryan got to strap on here because things are getting uh, pretty intense here. Alex, a major accomplishment of the UN COP27 conference was the establishment of a global fund dedicated to reimbursing nations for what? It is uh, um, developing nations for the effects of climate change. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, Paul had it written as loss and damage caused by climate change, but I think you... I, I believe it was a lot called the loss and damage fund. Yeah, so. yeah. No, you got this. You got this. We're going to give you two points for that one. So you're staying in the mix here with that answer. De- developing nations were jubil- jubilant at the close of the COP27 negotiations uh, from wealthy countries around the world agreeing to dedicate that loss and damage fund. Ryan, really important question for you here to stay in the game. It was announced last week that the Hamilton Honey Badgers of the Canadian Elite Basketball League would be leaving the city to permanently move to a new location after being forced out of the first Ontario Centre until 2025. Ryan, what city will be their new home? Now, I'm not going to get my own point, but can I claw back one from Karen where you gave her two when she took the answers last time? Which took the options. Oh, oh my apologies. Yeah. You can definitely claw point back from Karen. My th- so what, no what are we at now? Four three four three zero. There we go. Okay, that sounds better. Okay, I'll take the options now. I, I got I got two for answering without the choices though. So I said in the you first took the choices three. for Italy, uh, Czechia, and so I have USA. four. I have four overall. Yeah, so yep. four four yeah. four three yes. zero. Given yeah. an undue point there. But Ryan, I, I, pre- that, I appreciate the accounting. <laughs> I appreciate the ca- accounting over there. Paperwork is not my thing. Neither is math. So, Ryan, your options for this relocation of this Canadian elite basketball team. Is it Brampton, Ontario, Winnipeg, Manitoba, or Mississauga, Ontario? Let's go Brampton. That is correct. The team, along with the Ontario Hockey League's Hamilton Bulldogs and the Toronto Rock of the National Cross League, said they were informed earlier this month the first Ontario Centre would be shut down for much of the next two seasons for a 20-month construction period. So, after two rounds of play, Karen with four, Alex with three, Ryan with one, it's anybody's game. It's almost like Group B of the FIFA World Cup. Alex, round three starts with you. In protests in China, ranging from working conditions to COVID-19 restrictions, protesters are using this common item as a symbol for their protest. What is it? A blank sheet of paper. That's correct. Two points for Alex as he jumps into a 5-4-1 lead. Images and videos circulated online showing students at universities in cities, including Nanjing and Beijing, holding up blank sheets of paper in silent protest. Okie dokie. Ryan. Big question for you here, staying in the world of sports. Last week, this NFL team fired their offensive line coach, Sean Kugler, after he allegedly groped women in Mexico. What NFL team fired him? 
Make the options, please. Was it the Washington Commanders? Was it the San Francisco 49ers or the Arizona Cardinals? Cardinals. That is correct. According to ESPN, Kugler arrived with the team in Mexico City on the day before the game, and the incident occurred on Sunday evening. The Cardinals were notified by police shortly after. After the Cardinals were notified of the alleged incident, Kugler was fired and sent on a plane back to Arizona. Kugler had been part of the Cardinals coaching staff since 2019. So where does that leave us? Ryan with two, Alex with five, and Karen with four? All right, heading into the last question of round number three. Karen, without options, you win the whole thing. With options, you tie it up. Are you ready? Yes. Karen, it was announced last week, the European Space Agency, by the European Space Agency, that Paralympian John McFall would become the ESA's first disabled astronaut. From what country does he hail? England. Two points. And a big win for Karen McGee. The 41-year-old lost his right leg in a motorcycle accident when he was 19 and went on to compete for Great Britain and Northern Ireland at the Paralympic Games. No major Western space agency has ever put a pair of astronauts into space. And with that, the winner is... A hard-fought battle, a miscalculation by Dave... But nonetheless, Karen McGee wins the crown. Congratulations, Karen. Thank you, Dave. Ah, that is Karen McGee. Well done. Ryan, we appreciate the effort. Thank you, sir. Just wanted to make it dramatic for Karen's eventual <laughs> inevitable victory. Always put Thank in you. the Hall of Fun in Halifax. Ryan Delahanty and Alex Smythe, we appreciate your participation as well. Nice job emerging off the snide there early and getting into the mix and making it a game. Well done by you. Why, thank you. And now Karen can uh, deal with the consequences of calling out our boss, Kara, on air as a reason for why she was losing. Uh, so, I, I, she's already scheduled another meeting with me. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I got, I've, got, I've got one too. So we're all, we're all in deep, deep trouble here. That's all the time we have for the show today. Don't worry. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, hopefully with a few less technical glitches on my end. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.